The history of all hitherto existing society is the struggle between Papa and Boy. The interests of the Papa and the interests of the Boy are not aligned. Boys want lollipops and creative destruction. Papas just want to grill and have order and stability enforced by the military. So they're locked in an eternal struggle, a world historical tension. Boy killing Papa, Papa killing Boy, Boy dominating and enslaving Papa, Papa's genociding Boys. Papa, what does this have to do with vegetables? Shh, shh, this part's important. Pay attention, boy. Until the Fatherson system was invented by a lone moral genius, Papa Fatherson. Papa Fatherson innovated a comprehensive system to take the destructive chaos of the boyish tension of history and use it to fuel the cold, unfeeling machinery of the objectively true Fatherson system. And so Papa Fatherson not only raised history itself from a boy into a papa, he's also provided each papa with a roadmap to do the same for their own boys. The innovation at the heart of it? Command and control hierarchy under the threat of punishment. All decisions and authority in the household belong to the father. We call it patrocentric fatherarchy. Since its invention 300 years ago, Papa and Boy have lived in perfect harmony. The Fatherson system has a 100% success rate. Except, of course, in cases of user error. In that case, it's the fault of the individual Papa and not the system. See, Boy, if you don't eat the vegetables, I'm a failure. Hello everyone, welcome to Struggle Session. I am your host, Leslie Lee III. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Jack Allison. What's up? Jack, how's it going? Go. Pretty good, Leslie. How are you doing? I'm doing great, doing great. Thank you so much for listening to us on Struggle Session. If it's at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com or courtesy of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Thank you so much for listening to us, giving us those five-star ratings, liking, subscribing, all that good shit. We got a mega show for you today. Ren and Stippy, <laughs> Beavis and Butthead, Bugs and Daffy. Rick and Morty, Papa and Boy. Folks, we got the hottest cartoon sensation. Actually, we got the twisted minds behind the hottest cartoon. <laughs> yeah. Out Adult there cartoons, right now. yeah, are, are always typically made by twisted minds. So, yes, uh, you guys are <laughs> officially a, a twisted minds now. From the twisted <laughs> minds behind the seriously wrong podcast, Aaron and Sean are joining us today to talk about their new uh, animated show, Papa and Boy, available now on Means TV. Aaron, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having us on. All right. So tell us about Papa and Boy. I've been watching it. Jack's been watching it. I watched them. I thought it was really yeah. funny. It's super solid. It's a five-part cartoon series. It takes place in a universe inhabited entirely by Papas and Boys, uh, <laughs> where every relationship that you see in society is between a father and son. As it should be. um the the the, it was a riff on our show that the the idea that there would be like some sort of world historic class tension between fathers and sons seemed like a funny thing to play out and we uh did a few episodes like that and ended up uh bringing it to me and stevie in a cartoon version um 
So yeah, it's basically about one particular papa and one particular boy as the as the father tries to sort of tame the son to a system that doesn't make any sense, and the son naturally rebels against the things that don't make sense, but is also, uh, you know, a free willing, free spirited kid, um, and the the comedy comes from that. Yeah, the system uh, in the show is called the Fatherson system, and it's like basically a riff on capitalism as well as every other sort of hierarchical uh, uh, ideology of oppression that exists in current society. We kind of like pare it all down and just just talk about papas and boys. Immediately, as soon as I saw it, I, I, I felt the spirit and influence of one of my favorite shows, one of my favorite cartoons, Home Movies uh, from Brendan Small mm-hmm. back on the UPN network. And this and your show where it felt like it was um, like it was a lot of improvisational humor. Uh, they improved it with this, you know, kind of uh, really cool but flat animation. And it was just a very extremely funny show. And I absolutely loved it. And your show reminded me a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, part I of what makes, both... I mean, go ahead. We're, we're, we animated in Flash, like, um, home movies was animated in Flash. Uh, it's called Adobe Animate now. Um, and also we have the little booties. We don't draw a line between the foot and the pants. So <laughs> that's, that's a really home movies thing. Um, but yeah, we, we do the improvisational style writing. Yeah, we're both big home movies fans too. I, I love that show. Yeah, another thing your show has that Home Movies has is really great music. Who is behind the mm, music? Yeah. I, they are some fucking jams on the like in, like the intros have a little song yeah. to them. Each episode is like is really really good. Yeah, the uh, theme song and the little title card intro songs were done uh, by a friend of mine, Jeremy Marcel. He uh, has stuff on SoundCloud and everywhere under Dope Creature. He makes a lot of house music. Um, so I definitely recommend people checking out his stuff. But yeah, he he really killed it with that theme song. The, a combination between the Rugrats theme song and the Succession theme song. That's what we were trying to <laughs> the, the needle we were trying to thread there, and he really nailed that note. Yeah, and I think uh, the we also had some supporting music. Uh, Dan Warren, he's a singer songwriter. Uh, that he did the the hip hop song on the radio and a few mm. little riffs in the background to hit different tone notes. Um, so yeah, the two of them, uh, did a really great job on the music. You actually have, at the end of each episode, you kind of do explain what the comedy actually is pointing to, which I think is, is fairly helpful in this day and age. At the end of the American edits of the Sailor Moon series, when we were kids, there's a little lesson at the end of every episode about like, right. what is this episode teaching us? And um, it's something we did too. Like we had made Papa and Boy radio series before we did the podcast or before we did the cartoon series. And we would always have these little riffs at the end, kind of like an after show type vibe. So we wanted to think of something like that for the cartoon and the adding the lessons just really kind of fell into place and helped us, you know, guide people and show like what we're trying to get at with them and also like add more depth to the episodes that so that, um, yeah, help the comedy and the politics really pop. You know, I, I didn't place the Sailor Moon influence, but there it was just right <laughs> sitting right in front yeah. of me. Yeah. The, also, we thought we were thinking about the possibility that children could watch this. Like we we aimed it at an adult, like a you know politically conscious, left leaning adult audience was sort of who we had in mind. But we were aware of the fact that this is a cartoon show, um, and you know families might want to watch this. And we thought it'd be a good place to like put in those little lessons, like you should you should probably eat your vegetables, and <laughs> uh, you know like. Uh, 
like there's a reason that you're actually asked to because the 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 under the Fatherson system, uh, parents never explain why things need to be done. They just like mm-hmm. enforce you know through the metaphorical barrel because of the he gun. said so is what it is. Yeah, exactly because they yeah. said so. That's they believe almost religiously in this world that that's the only way to uh, ensure compliance, full compliance of the children. Um, and explaining means that you're losing. So they don't explain it. But we thought like maybe we should explain a little bit. We should use our responsibility, our platform responsibly to make sure that children are aware um, of the value of baths. Uh, because I think children do deserve to understand the explanations behind the things they're asked to do. And we've gotten some good feedback from children already, or well, parents relaying feedback of their children <laughs> uh, on some comments like, oh, my eight-year-old son really loves this show, or my five-year-old daughter's watched them all like four times already, uh, which is just amazing to me. <laughs> You're not entirely bi- biased towards the boys. You do get, you do note that the papas deal with a lot of shit, too. I, I've- but the system is, is ultimately as bad for papas as it is for sons, uh, as they, you know, are sort of abused, uh, uh, you know, before they become papas and then go on to reinforce that system. Yeah, the fathers, they, they, they're recruited into this sense of belonging in this system. They, they think that it's, it's offering them something. Um, and because they get to lord over the boys, they get to have this bit of power where if you have power, this is, this is a classic critique of like authoritarian parenting is you get all this power in the household to make up for the fact that power is taken away from you everywhere else in society. So he, he needs to discipline and subjugate his boy because precisely in the rest of the world, he is a boy to the world. He's, he's a boy to his landlord. Uh, his landlord is a father <laughs> to him. His boss is a father to him and so on. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're middlemen of a system that's not working for either of them. And we, we just wanted to try to make that like kind of true to life and explore, mm-hmm. um, some of the ambiguities around, cause it's not the case that parents are uniquely evil, um, inherently authoritarian, awful people. I mean, many, some at least are, um, but it happens in a context of like, yeah, total disempowerment of everyone. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's more interesting and I think funnier also, um, to bring emotional stakes into it. Like if you hated Papa, it's harder to laugh at his, uh, his, his, uh, patheticness. <laughs> All right. So we've been talking about your show, your Papa's. Let's talk about some other cartoon poppers. We were we were talking about this a little bit before the show. We and you came in hot about how you think Hank Hill is actually a fairly good pop. It's the 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 boy ain't right stuff is just so funny. Like it's so <laughs> like Hank Hill is. I think Hank Hill is probably the best cartoon TV dad. Um, yeah. The the. Yeah, he means well. He's kind of similar to Papa on on our show, actually, in that he means well, but he's so caught up in this this big crazy system, he can't he can't tell. Yeah, I'd say Hank Hill is a is a very good dad. He tries his best. I also want to give a shout out to early season Simpsons Homer before <laughs> he kind of just became this one note. Uh, they call it jerk ass Homer character in the right. Uh, I don't know after season nine or ten or whatever when he uh, there was like more heart in there and like he was you know maybe not the best father as well but he he was trying and he was like I, yeah I, I I think that was a good one too. I will say, you know, though I agree with you, you know, jerk ass Homer was better, you know, or uh, it was better than when he when he became jerk ass Homer that the early seasons are when he was choking Bart the most often. So there there was that, more sort of physical point. abuse occurring in those early seasons, even though there was more heart too. yeah, I don't sign off on that. Definitely. <laughs> 
There's a lot of heart to the choking, though. You know, it was, it was, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And Bart was a quite a bad boy, too. You know, I don't know. I'm not I'm not I can't uh, I can't cosign. But, you know, he, he got up to a lot of rascal, uh, you know, rascally behavior. Yeah, absolutely. You should never strangle a child. But <laughs> yeah, but, but <laughs> in early seasons he, of The Simpsons, he, if he's he was graffiti fairly... the, the statue with El Barto. You know, there's an argument to be made. <laughs> Yeah, it would never fly in a live action show, that much strangulation of an eight-year-old. I think Matt Groening said that Bart was based on himself, um, and like all the other characters were named after his family members, and mm-hmm. Bart was like the, the, the drop-in for him. There's definitely a rebellious... Uh, I mean, a lot of shows in the 90s had this like really rebellious kids against stuffy parents trope. Um, yes. So it's definitely happening in The Simpsons. They were also kind of playing with adult animation and trying to figure out what that meant. Because kind of before, even like Beavis and Butthead, you know, as part of that uh, sort of, you know, trying to figure out what adult animation was. Because before that, it was a lot of sort of like high fantasy sort of Ralph Bakshi, you know, sword and sorcery, violent stuff. And then they were like, well, what if it's comedy? And, you know, we can kind of and also, you know, I don't know. Homer strangling Bart kind of comes out of a long tradition of like slapstick violence where cartoon characters don't really feel pain. So it doesn't count in the same way. Uh, so I don't know. I think it's part of trying to figure out. And also, you know, if it's based on Matt Groening's childhood, that is when kids would get uh, hit a little more for fucking around, you know, growing up in the 50s. Yeah, it's definitely a bit more culturally normalized back then. Um, uh, if we want to talk about other good da- uh, cartoon dads, I had one I was going to bring up. But first, I actually have to talk about a bad cartoon dad before I can even get into this good cartoon dad. And a very bad cartoon dad and bad husband uh, is Goku in the Dragon Ball series. Uh, he's very, he's very bad. He's a very bad father to his son Gohan. He doesn't care about Gohan except for when Gohan is training and trying to become stronger. Um, He's very uh, unkind to Chi-Chi. There's a moment when he does hit Chi-Chi, but feels bad about it right afterward. But because he's Goku, does send her flying out, like, of the house and into a nearby, like, you know, mountain or something. Um, Uh, Jag, is this a thing that actually happened? It it is. There's a Dragon Ball Z, but it's like... He's mess. It's like he like flicks her basically, be- but because he's Goku, she like flies through a wall. <laughs> um, uh, but yes, Goku is a very bad dad. He disappears for many months at a time, um, sometimes dying on purpose so that he can go train in heaven. Uh, he cares more about being the strongest <laughs> than he ever cared about being a father. Uh, but this brings me to. A good father uh, and a reminder to us all that, you know, perhaps being a father has nothing to do with blood. It has nothing to do with, you know, who actually, you know, uh, uh, sired the child, uh, because I would say that Piccolo is quite a good father to Gohan. Uh, And in Goku's absence, Piccolo really does step in uh, and become the father that Gohan needs uh, in a way that Goku really never was. Oh, so he's the Russell Wilson to uh, Goku's future, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Does Piccolo have any um, canonical domestic violence compared to <laughs> Goku? You know what's funny is Piccolo was evil and did try to take over the entire world when he first showed up. But no has never beaten uh, a woman or, well, a wife. I mean, I guess, I don't know, if the androids, if that's a woman, then perhaps he's beaten a woman. But he's never beaten his wife or had a wife. Right, that's... 
that's mono up. That's like battle. That's like right, battlefield. That's in battle. Yeah, hitting a super powered android woman. Yeah. It's a little different. Then then slapping the hitting Chi Chi and sending her flying through a wall. Yeah, I don't. I, I can't. I don't remember uh, Goku doing very much parenting at all. I only saw. I I, I think it was on a little. Uh, the episodes took too long to get to the point, and I stopped watching when I was like sure. twelve or thirteen or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't remember him doing anything like parental for for Gohan. That was there, I don't remember any tenderness there. Now that you mention it, um, but it's good to hear that the Piccolo, only- you know, carry the slack. <laughs> the only Dragon Ball I remember watching was the original series before Z. So Goku was a kid in that, if I'm remembering correctly. So. That's right. Yeah, no, that and that series is perhaps even better. It had a lot more charm to it and a lot more fun. But uh, but yeah, it, there was no bad parenting or domestic abuse in, in that one. Just his just meeting his future <laughs> wife as a child bride, basically. Did, G- Goku didn't have any like parental there was no like father figure to goku in the original dragon ball series was there well he had a grandfather who found him in the woods uh but he like dies right at the start of dragon ball when when he goes off with bulma on his little adventure and bulma is kind of a friend mother to him it's interesting you know maybe it's this the cycles of familial I, trauma this you know? is what he, i was going to say is yeah he like he, he didn't have a, a father figure patterned for him and so he couldn't be a father when it came to parenting gohan yeah, so I'll name a controversial one. Splinter. I do not think he was a very good father to, to those turtles. In fact, he puts them on the same, as you said, the cycle of, you know, violence, of, of pain. He puts them on the same path of vengeance that he was on. They spend their lives getting revenge against his old bitter enemy. And that's not good fathering, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of, kind of a Goku-like father, another Goku-like father. It's a perfect example of the way that often in our society, you know, children, they they're, they're, they have to enact the fantasies of their parents. Mm-hmm. Their parents live vicariously through them and put them into lives that they would never choose themselves. These poor turtles, they're forced into a life of, you know, ninja behavior. Mm-hmm. They have to they have to go in. They, they need to fight superpowered villains on behalf of the whims and dreams of their father mm-hmm. that's that's totally you know think about doing that to a baby today imagine holding a baby in your arms and say i'm going to train you to be a ninja to fight my all-powerful <laughs> enemy that's wrong and, and the turtles also very clearly all had interests you know outside of being ninjas you know they could have gone on to create True. great art they could have been like pizza chefs or something <laughs> like that um yeah like th- this was not necessarily something that they were passionate about it's something that splinter really imposed on them yeah said imagine imagine the high quality of of pizza that their their city new york city is missing out on the deep dish you know uh turtle pizza that they could be making if they were able to follow our, their real passions instead of chase after you know violent revenge for their their father their vengeful father their literally canonically vengeful father bruce wayne aka batman okay now oh, he does not put his sons on the quest for revenge they all choose it because they're douchebags because he has two <laughs> basically all of them kind of suck and so they all like have nothing else going on so they all want to be him and they all fail to live up to that and so i don't think that's necessarily batman's fault for setting such a good powerful example that all the boys follow him into uh the path of crime fighting i don't i, I think batman's kind of okay father 
I'm unfamiliar with Batman's canonical sons or his parenting abilities, but I don't know. I just like, I have to doubt that like, if you're out fighting like petty criminals in Gotham all the time or like busy with Joker constantly that you could really, you know, emotionally be there to support your kids. And maybe <laughs> they chose it because they were douchebags, but maybe they were douchebags because they didn't have a loving father there for them when they really needed it. Mm -hmm. He has two full-time jobs. That's like very intensive. <laughs> That lifestyle all night, all day. Yeah, there is also something about the, you know, sort of rich guy over adopting children thing. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of am like, you know, he has a lot going on. Like, what has he got to prove in sort of collecting adopted children to keep around the manor? Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah they, they did the celebrity adopting four or five kids. Uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I can see. I can kind of see where perhaps he's somewhat responsible, but they could be doing other things. They could just be like TikTok douchebags, like every other <laughs> rich fail son. Instead, they want to be crime fighters. So I don't know when the Joker runs up on him. Like that's not Bruce Wayne's fault. They he so told him to be somewhere else. Leslie, I don't read a lot of modern DC, but I understand that they are trying to make the characters all Zoomers. Are you sure that Robin is not some kind of TikTok douchebag <laughs> in modern DC have, right now? I may have spoken too soon. I may have, <laughs> I have. I should check on that. Is Damian Wayne doing posts? I, I really couldn't tell you right now. <laughs> I don't watch this show because I, I, I find this show repulsive. I've never really liked it. But maybe you can tell me if there's anything to Peter Griffin as a follow. <laughs> To Peter Griffin as a father. Uh, no. Yeah. I, I've He's watched horrible. enough to He's know that he... Father. Yeah. I, I've watched enough to know that he is a bad father. You know, the whole family is abusive to Meg. Uh, and that's kind of just because of the, like, nihilism of the Family Guy show. But if we're really talking about being a good dad, you know, he engenders abuse against his, uh, uh, his teenage daughter. Yeah, he's like jerk-ass Homer turned up to 11. I don't think he's ever had a redemptive moment. Or if they did if they did ever have a redemptive moment for it, it would always be like undercut right afterwards. He would like have diarrhea in his pants or something. And then, then a bunch of like singing and dancing people would come out and they'd make yes. a big kind of like meta thing about it. Does anyone know if Yogi Bear is Boo Boo's father? <laughs> <laughs> I think they might just be roommates, uh, but yeah. with a kind of fatherly affect. Uh, but yeah, I, th I think I believe they're just uh, good friends and roommates. Yeah, they seem more like friends. Right, right. Like, like they kind of just live out like two people. Maybe there is an age gap there, but he's a younger guy, uh, like Bear out on the streets that he's taking under his wing. You know, showing him the hustle and all that good stuff. I was gonna, I was gonna say the Jetson, the Jetson dad and the Flintstone dad. Mm. Um, I can't, I can't, I can't remember any parenting that I ever saw them do. But I feel like they both had very traditional views on the family, despite one being very far in the future. Yeah, I don't think either of them were bad dads, you know. But they might have just been a little more into their own bullshit. Oh no, that was when uh, parenting was the w woman's job. So they, they, mm. I don't think it actually comes up that much on the show. It's like, no, no, those babies—they're for her to take care of. You just go out and 
uh, make the money and work. Right. Fred Flintstone's off splitting rocks and George Jetson, I believe, just presses buttons, which, you know, ended up being pretty prophetic that he just goes to an office and presses a computer keyboard the entire day. No, Jack, it was the opposite. In fact, it was the opposite because that was supposed to be his difficult job. And he only works. I forget what the exact number is, like two hours uh, a day, like two, uh, three times. Because we were had expected at this point in time to be in, you know, this increasing levels of productivity due to technology would bring us to that uh, point where we would have just all this luxury time and free time and uh, the tech would basically be doing the work for us. Sadly, it did not work out like that. Gotcha. Yeah, that's interesting. That's reflected in the Jetsons, that that, that assumption, because I've, I've heard about that in the past, that it was projected by a bunch of people like Keynes and others that uh, Richard Nixon talked about it, that the work week would shrink over time. But instead, it's, you know, stayed the same slash expanded through like hustle culture, grinding culture. Um, it, we say as we record on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's. Yeah, that's it's fascinating. We it comes up a little bit in uh, in the second episode of our show. We have a, a kind of like riff on on work and how uh, kind of playing off the idea of automation being used uh, instead of like to liberate people from toil to like uh, to industrialize and scale up toil. The idea that people are going to work in the metaverse in the future, like you can have a spreadsheet floating in front of you, <laughs> oh, with a screen sake. an inch away from your eye. Like this is this is their vision. This is their utopian vision for technology liberating us is like now you can float around with no legs and look at enormous <laughs> spreadsheets oh wait um, wait they added the legs they added the legs this past week they they got leslie, legs I, I have to correct mm, i have to correct you that check. was uh i have to correct you leslie the oh. legs have not been added yet and those were pre-rendered legs they haven't figured oh, out this was just an announcement that they're gonna <laughs> that they're gonna be doing legs uh, that was a cyberpunk 2077 yeah. style hype train for legs that won't be delivered <laughs> That was that was yeah that was pre Amazing. that was um pre-rendered screenshots basically uh for legs in the like Can't 6 the billion yet. dollar metaverse or however much they spent on it. They want people to think they have legs though and it, their their campaign is clearly working. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we have to work more than ever, and it's a way of you know keeping people out of politics. It's a way of keeping uh, people focused on their narrow you know day to day lives to keep keep money coming in. Costs keep on going up uh, between day job and extra jobs. Everyone's got to work fifty hours a week. Uh, so instead of being liberated by the automation, it's part of a system that allows people like Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg to spend billions on whatever they want while we work twice as hard for half the money. Well, at least Jeff Bezos is getting to make a big Lord of the Rings fan fiction with all that money. So that's very, that's exciting for all us small folk. Fantasy. I'm more of a sci-fi guy than a fantasy guy, personally. Um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't checked oh, it out. Watched, Have you seen it? I stopped watching it. I watched a little... Yeah, same. I watched a little bit of it just to, cause I like to watch the culture war arguments about different shows. And that one was a big one, but I couldn't keep going just cause the quality wasn't, wasn't that great. Yeah. I, I had to stop. I, and I do a show, I, we do this podcast, which is essentially about some of those culture wars. And so I'm bereft in my duties, but just couldn't do it. Yeah. It's quite bad. I did manage to finish it. I enjoyed seeing how bad it was like how bad you can make a tv show if you gave like two smucks who have never made a tv show before no offense to you two but they didn't <laughs> TV did not give you a billion dollar budget uh for your show no. uh emphatically did they? No. 
I think it would have been a good choice if they had, personally. But, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There's more stories to tell. <laughs> I read somewhere that the, the, the Amazon video thing is like a big loss leader for, for Amazon, but it's really good for Jeff Bezos' love life mm-hmm. because he's able to like bump elbows with starlets and talk about his upcoming shows and use the boys and Lord of the Rings as a way to pick up chicks. I mean, yeah. Have you heard this? It, it, it's, yes. a, it's a way for Jeff Bezos to go to whack parties uh, in L.A. is basically what it is. Yeah, it, yeah, that's, and that's a quote from a direct from an insider in Amazon that this is the lost leader for Jeff Bezos' love life. Uh, and now it's a billion-dollar loss leader. Try, just try to think about Jeff Bezos, you know, getting it on while you watch <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Uh, just keep in mind that this is all big plot, a big horny plot by Mr. Bezos. This is, this is basically a Tinder profile. <laughs> this, this Lord of the Rings show is, is a Tinder profile. He does. He's got some sort of weird, inhuman. Since over the last couple of years, he's been like getting more buff, and he laughs like uh, I don't know what he, what he's taking, but it's he's got this like really intense vibe about him. When you see him around like the moon missions and stuff, he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, we're having a great time out here." There's something really weird going on with yeah, that. Yeah, I guy. think he's like something has like he's taken some kind of be less weird coaching, and it has made him far more weird. Is what I think. I think like <laughs> he like kind of shed the nebbishy sort of computer programmer guy thing and now he's just like even more bizarre he's like trying to be like buck rogers or something like that i also think you know they say he has a lazy eye i think he has a cybernetic cybernetic eye. eye. we said that because that, that on the first eye, episode yeah. of struggle session we called that out yes he has a cybernetic eye that's that one eye has a bigger pupil and that's not a lazy eye thing that's a that's a cybernetic eye thing so what's the, he's got something installed there that's allowing him to like pull up met, metadata on people like the yeah. purchase history and stuff. Or? Yeah, or just like you know, the, probably in there, probably just like the Amazon <laughs> stock price or something lame. Honestly, like probably not that good or exciting. Um, <laughs> but but he's got it. Aaron, Sean, thank you so much uh, for joining us today to talk, Papa and Boy. Where can people find the show? Where can people find Seriously Wrong? Uh, well, the the Papa and Boy, the cartoon shows on Means TV. You can get that at Means TV. Uh, it's a sliding scale uh, to sign up for it, so you can email them if um, if you can't afford ten bucks a month. But I think ten bucks a month is worth it. There's a lot of good documentaries and stuff on there. And our uh, podcast can be found at seriouslywrong.com, which is S R S L Y. Uh, wrong seriously wrong. Uh, and on all podcast places, places where podcasts are, you can find us with that. All right, folks, that was Struggle Session. Have a good one. Peace. Later. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.